So we're still staying in the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter and verses five and following. That story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well, at Jacob's well. The Gospel of John is not like any of the other uh, three Gospels. Rather than try to be a historical account of the life of Jesus, it begins with a great poem, In the Beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it is much more concerned with impressing upon us the theological impact of Jesus the Christ. In it, you can see the emerging theology of hope and resurrection and love and redemption that the church came to embrace. That embrace is embodied in this story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, Believe me, the hour is coming where you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The word of God for the people of God. Well, I am of that era where I am holding back a temptation right now. That would be to launch into singing the Peter, Paul, and Mary song, Jesus Met the Woman at the Well. It might work with this crowd, but it certainly will not work at the 11 o'clock service when all of those graduates will be here and they have no idea who Peter, Paul, and Mary even are. (coughs) Such is uh, life as a retiree. I want to talk about thirst, different kinds of thirst, not just one. But let's begin with that common understanding of thirst, that common need for water. Judging by advertisements and by what I see people carrying around as they go about their daily business in this culture, Americans are a very thirsty bunch of people. I remember a day, and now I am revealing how old I am. I remember a day when 10 cents would get you an 8-ounce glass bottle of Coke from a machine. Today, no self-respecting teenager would settle for 8 ounces of anything. Back when our kids were still at home, it seemed like... Our house was inundated with 32-ounce plastic cups collected from all over the place. They accumulated in our house like kudzu. Before long, they had taken over the entire house. These are the cups you get at McDonald's and other places, 7-Eleven and all those kinds of places. The paper ones were never any problem. Those were easy to throw away. But the plastic ones, they were the ones I learned to hate in our household. You know the ones I mean. The ones that are sneakily referred to by the marketing people as collector cups. These are the cups that are supposed to have value beyond their capacity to Hold whatever liquid it is that you were desiring in that moment. These are the cups that were printed with pictures of superheroes or Luke Skywalker or X-Men. These are the cups where before you can collect all 16 in the series, the printing on the first four has already begun to wear off the plastic cups. These are the cups that don't fit in the dishwasher no matter how hard you try. And these are the cups that eventually find their way to the top shelf of the cupboard where their true purpose is revealed, that being to fall out upon my head every time the cupboard door is open. Apparently, Americans are a very thirsty bunch of people. But judging by our inclination toward these plastic cups of manufactured value, I have to wonder 
just what it is after which we thirst. Now there's thirst. And then there's thirst. There is the thirsting of our bodies for the physical necessities of life, such as water. This biological thirst cannot be denied for very long nor ignored. Even the most robust among us will quickly succumb if we walk without water in the dry summer sun. Biological thirst cannot be fooled when your body needs water. You cannot give it sand and tell it to be satisfied. Biological thirst cannot be delayed. Distracting their mind away from the crisis cannot treat a dehydrated person. But the remedy for this thirst is certain and direct. There is no room for ambiguity with this kind of thirst. There is no question as to what must be done. And there is no doubt that the thirst will come again if water is once again denied. Biological thirst is serious business. If you live in the desert, or if you live in Flint... But most of us have never known serious thirst like that. We live in a part of the world where it seems that every public corridor contains a drinking fountain, where the ability to quench that thirst is right around the corner, which seems to be our right, which which is what makes the crisis in Flint so unimaginable to all of us. How often have we said, how can it be that in the United States of America we have a major city where people can't go to their faucet and draw out a cup of pure water to quench their thirst? How that offends us. We live in a part of the world where satisfying our biological thirst is done with extravagance and flair. In our world, it is not enough to drink a cup of cold water. We try to satisfy our thirst with 32 ounces of Coke in a plastic collect-all 16 limited edition official cup of the new millennia. It takes no real power of observation to suggest that our thirst goes way beyond our physical need for moisture. The critical thirst of the modern heart is spiritual. We thirst after love. We thirst after acceptance. We thirst after hope and forgiveness. We thirst after justice. We thirst to belong. We thirst after meaning in a world that offers us mostly chaos. Come, says the scripture, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. 
Could this be the Christ, says the woman at the well. The problem with our spiritual thirsting is that it can be denied. It can be ignored. It can be fooled and it can be delayed. It is a trick that we play upon ourselves when we are too afraid to put the reality of our lives on full display for God to embrace. People live for years pretending that there is nothing spiritual about them. People thirst for purpose and meaning and they can't find it, so instead they collect things as a way of showing that their life matters. It is just a 32-ounce collector's cup in a different form. A 32-ounce house. A 32-ounce car. A 32-ounce cruise, a 32-ounce stock portfolio, sometimes a trophy wife or a collector husband, it's all manufactured. None of it is real. Before you can collect it all, it begins to fade and wear off. It can't be maintained. It doesn't fit in the dishwasher, and pretty soon it all comes crashing down upon your head. I recently returned from Haiti where it was my special privilege to be a part of a team teaching in an academy to train local preachers serving rural churches in Haiti. My assignment as a part of this team was to write a paper defining worship and then to present that paper to the students gathered. It was an assignment that I wish I had received years ago when my ministry was just beginning. For it caused me to think deeply about why we gather every Sunday in this room or in similar rooms across America. It caused me to consider the purpose of worship and its impact upon our lives and our relationship. To God. In writing that paper, I came to realize that worship is not defined by the common words we like to throw around, not defined by words such as traditional or contemporary. The quality of worship is not measured by the skill of its media razzle-dazzle or the choral polish of its choir, which is hard for me to say because as a singer I think everything centers around the choir. Worship has nothing to do with style. This is what I came to learn in my preparation for teaching in Haiti. And this is the definition I offered to those students Worship is the place where life and God meet. And I don't mean our pretend life. I mean our real life.
Worship is that recurring moment when we are offered an opportunity to present ourselves and the truth of our lives before God. Worship is the moment to pitch out all of the false pretense of life. Pitch it into the trash. All of the worthless 32-ounce plastic trophies we have accumulated and embrace the God of love described in the Gospel of John as full of grace and truth. So when Rick called and asked if I could preach for him while he recovers, he told me that the sermon he planned to deliver would ask the question, what is truthful Worship. I'm happy to pose that important question to you this morning. And I am also happy, as I always am, to share my own heartfelt opinion on the matter. Truthful worship is worship that drops all pretense and allows us to stand before God just as we are, in order that we might once again experience the Word become flesh living among us, and we are once again made receptive to the reconciling love of God at the center of our existence. At Jacob's well... Jesus met a Samaritan woman. She was there in the middle of the day because she was not welcome there at the usual time when Jewish women were there to fetch their own water. In response to his request, she offered Jesus a cup of water, and in return, he told her the story of her life and offered her the spiritual water of life. The water that Jesus offered to her, and the water that Jesus offers to you, and to me, and to all of us, comes with a healthy dose of of honesty, not pretense. If our spiritual thirst is to be satisfied, it will be satisfied with that which is real, not with that which pretends. This living water comes in a cup worth keeping. It contains that which will satisfy the thirst of your spirit, and it begins by dropping all pretense and standing honestly before the God of love and forgiveness. Jesus met the woman at the well. Jesus met the woman at the well. Jesus met the woman at the well. And he told her everything she'd ever done.
the Christ? Thanks be to God. Thank you.